very few people in Christianity teach law. Not exclusively law. Most people have got it in the head that something happened at the cross. They can't, some people like think, well, you know, the law's still all there. But most people have it in the head that something changed. What most people, and, 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 the, and the problem we have in our nation, and I believe in other nations, is we don't have grace. We have a mixture of law and grace. And the trouble is, when you mix law and grace, it doesn't work because you remove the power from the gospel because it's no longer faith, it's effort. It's no longer about what Jesus can do. It's no longer about what Jesus has done, but it's about what you can do to please him. And what you can do to put yourself right with him. And what you can do to access the blessings by earning the blessings. And the truth is you can't do anything. Because you can't change something that was done 2,000 years ago no matter how hard you try. All you can do is receive it. And you know how you can, you can tell the difference between... You see... Most of us have become insensitive, so we don't hear the difference between a mixed grace and law message and a grace message. And so we just absorb it all, and, and we pick out bits, and then at the end of it, we just end up being confused and tired. Let me tell you how you tell the difference. It's really simple. When you hear phrases like, We've got to push through, press in, break through, open the heavens. We've got to build God's church. We've got to try harder. We've got to walk in holiness. We've got to do this. We've got to do that. We've got to build this church and, you know, we've got to do, put on this uh, amazing uh, event and people will come. And, and when you hear all that sort of stuff, then you're hearing mixed grace and law. Because not once in what I just said did you hear the word Jesus. When you hear grace, the only thing you should do is fall in love with Jesus. When you hear a grace message, it's all about Jesus because there is nothing beyond Jesus. He has done everything and he sat you right down next to him in heavenly places. So... Everything you have and everything you live by is Jesus. He's in you, you in him. Christ in me, me in Christ. In him we live and move and have our being. A grace, grace teaching always should focus on Christ and Christ alone and not on what we can do. And when we hear stuff that's all about us, us building, us trying, us pressing, us... Uh, praying our way through and all that sort of stuff, we have a mixture of law and grace. And the problem is that robs the gospel of its power and it makes everything dependent on you. I've got a question for you. Would you rather be dependent on you to do 
God's work? Or would you rather be dependent on Jesus to do God's work? Now, let's, have, let's take a vote on that. Let's go, who would be de- like to be dependent on themselves? Who thought that was a scary question when you thought, if it all's down to me, we've had it. But yet, the truth is, in the church, in, in the UK and across the West, we behave like it is all down to us. It's all down to us to make it happen. That's why we don't see this nation turning to God. Because we have made us big and Christ small. We're working for God instead of letting him live through us. And they're two completely different things. Now, this morning, that's a preamble because this morning I'm going to talk about what is, if, if if I'd mentioned to you 10, 12 weeks ago when we started this series, which bit do you want me to get to? Where do you want your questions answering? It's going to be this chapter. Because everywhere you read, people will look at chapter 7 of Romans and say, whoa, we don't understand that. Oh, what's... And, and they, they go like, oh, that's... Have you heard the words, that's a really difficult passage? Yeah. yeah? I have a really simple solution for difficult passages. My really simple solution for difficult passages is this. If you think your passage is difficult, you are reading it wrong. Because this was written for ordinary people. Unfortunately... We've got that much accumulated baggage, we can't actually read the Bible simply anymore. And we read it and we go, oh, that's really difficult, I can't get my head around that. Because we're coming at it from the wrong perspective. See, I've got Bob nodding at me here, yeah? But if I was stood behind Bob, I wouldn't be able to see the expression on his face, I wouldn't know whether he was smiling or he was telling me off. But actually, just for the avoidance of doubt, for all those of you smiling, we're okay. But can you see? So I'm going to talk about, you know that, and this passage, just in case you don't know, is the one where Paul says, I want to do the things that I want to do, but I can't do them, and I can't do the things I want to do, and, and all, all that sort of stuff. And, and what should happen is, if you've got this far with me over these weeks, you should now be able to understand this passage really easily. Okay? So... Let me, um, let me put it like this. Let's start with an illustration, because basically Paul uses two illustrations. The first illustration he uses is this. He's using an illustration, and he uses an illustration about marriage, and then he uses an illustration from his own life when he's talking about, I do the things that I don't want to do, etc. So let's... You know, some people... some. So I'm not talking to guys at the moment, I'm talking to the ladies. But the truth is, some ladies, some women, have terrible marriages. They, they, and, and I, you know, I grew up on a, in a, 
a really poor council estate and we had more than our fair share of these marriages. And, and, and what I mean is this, that, that there, 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 there are lots of marriages where the husband dominates the wife in a really unhealthy way. The, 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 the husband tells them everything they're going to do. The, they're gonna do. He makes all the decisions. He's not interested in the wife's opinion. In fact, she's not allowed an opinion. And, um, you know, she's not really allowed to think for herself. And the, the approach of the husband's like this. Just what, do what I've told you to do. Be a good wife. I'm the guy out at work providing for us all. When I come home, I just want to, to, to sit down in front of the telly, watch the football, have my dinner on a plate, and, and you're not, you know, that's your, that's your job. I'm the man, you're the woman, I'm the boss, you're the servant. And, and a lot of women live in, in versions of that marriage, often a lot worse than that, where there is abuse. And, and what you've got is you've got a lady there who's married to a tyrant of a husband. Now, that's what Paul's talking about when he gets into chapter 7 of Romans in his first illustration. He's talking about that sort of marriage. And he says this, Don't you know, brethren, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives. For the married woman is bound by law to her husband while he's living. But if her husband dies, she's released from the law concerning the husband. So then, if while her husband is living, she is joined to another man, she's called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she's free from the law so that she's not an adulteress, though she's joined to another man. Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ, that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we might bear fruit for God. Let me just repeat that last verse. Therefore, this is talking to you believers, you were made to die to the law through the body of Christ, so that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead, to bear fruit for God. Now, would you agree with me that the purpose of what, what he's talking about is so that we would have fruit? We would bear fruit for God. So the idea that, that Paul's talking about is he's looking at a tale of two marriages. The first marriage has certain characteristics and the second marriage has different characteristics. And the characteristics of the second marriage is that we bear fruit. There's fruitfulness. It's, it's, a, it's a blessing, not, not a burden. And he's talking to believers. Do you agree? Because he, he says brethren. So this is to believers. So he's talking to people like you and me. And he refers to this thing called the law. Now, people get kind of excited when you use the word law. And what they want to do is they want to make the law something it's not. In other words, I'll, I'll do the law, I'll keep the law as far as I'm able, and all the bits I can't keep or I'm not very good at, they aren't really law for today. You know, like, for instance, we, we don't generally go around chopping people's hands off and, and so on, not in this country anyway. 
for, for minor breaches like uh, of, of things. And, and we don't generally exclude people from church just because they've got tattoos these days or they're wearing cloth of mixed, uh, mixed linens. And so people go, well, all that ceremonial stuff, all that blood of bulls and goats and all that sort of stuff, that's the law that we don't have to keep and this is the law we do have to keep. And, and they make the distinction. The trouble is that the Bible doesn't make that distinction. And when Paul's talking about the law, he's not just talking about Ten Commandments. He's talking about the whole body of the law. And there are 613 rules in that law that you are meant to keep. And it's really sad people like me that know facts like that. 613 rules. And then the Pharisees and, 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 and all their buddies came along and, and to be really helpful to us and to show us how practically we could keep the law, they added an all whole raft of extra things as an outworking of being able to keep the law. And what Paul's saying is that that was like living with a tyrant of a husband. In that what happened was that that yoke became unbearable. And that's why uh, Paul says... Um, it was for freedom that you were set free. Don't be subject again to that yoke of slavery. Because you're set free for freedom. So what he's saying here, what, what he's talking about is a comparison in this illustration. It's a comparison between the first husband, who was our sin nature, who was a tyrant, who dominated our soul, who, who dominated our thinking, who, who, where, where we couldn't break through because he, he was just like overbearing and dictated everything to us. That's the, that's the old sin nature. And that husband dominates the wife, that is the soul. Okay, so first husband, tyrant, old sin nature. Wife is the soul, the one that was dominated is your soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions, your, the way you think, your whole belief system. And what he's saying is that the only way you can be free of that is through a death. You know, in, in the, under the law, the only way you could be divorced was if somebody died. And the thing that caused that to be, or, or the reason that was, is because there was rules that said that. There was the law that bound you to the old nature. That's what he's saying. The, the law bound, tied you to that old sin nature. And what he's saying is that the only way you can get free of all that system where you were dominated is, to, is that there's got to be a death. Now, in early weeks, and if this is your first week, then uh, you can hear the preaches on um, the uh, internet, but you can also, if you fill in one of the welcome cards and give it to some, uh, some, one of us at the end of the service, we'll send you out, because there's a chapter that goes with the preach each week. So we'll send you out all the previous chapters so you can, you can catch up. But what we found out is that, that our old sin nature died with Christ. And that, this is what Paul's talking about here. So what he's saying is, I can illustrate. Yeah, so what happened is that when we believed, something changed. When we believed, something changed. And it wasn't just like we became a Christian. What changed is we changed. We became a new creation. 
2 Corinthians 5, 21 um, says this, that he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we would become the righteousness of Christ. So what that's saying is that Jesus, who didn't sin at all, became sin. He took our sin. And in exchange, when we believe in him, we get his righteousness. What have we got? So what are we? We're righteous. Where's the sin? On Christ. Okay. Now, what I want you to see is this. He didn't just take sin actions. He became sin. He didn't just deal with your sins, like a whole long list of all the things you've done wrong, and say, it's okay, I've took the punishment, you've forgiven. Yes, he did that, but this is saying something much deeper than that. What this is saying is that when Christ died, he took your sin nature. He didn't take your sins, he he became sin. He took your sin nature to the cross and it died with him. And when, when we believe, we get access, we get counted in to that. Now, going back to this passage, because this is just incredible when Paul says this, because what Paul's addressing, what he's talking about in this passage, he's he's trying to show, because there's a lot of believers that that actually have this mixed-up grace law thing, and they think that that all that's happened is we became like super-powered when we got born again, and so now we can do what we couldn't do before, which is to keep the law. That's actually not what the Bible says. But it is the way most preachers preach and it is the way most Christians think they're supposed to do. Like, I'm a super version. I've got the Holy Spirit, so I should keep the law. Let me read you this sentence. You were made to die to the law through the body of Christ that you might be joined to another. What are you as far as the law is concerned? Dead. Dead. You're not trying to keep the law anymore. You're dead to the law. You, you have to operate and live from a different place. You have to live not the, not, not the way you, you did before by trying to keep the law and trying to, trying to walk right and well and having a good moral code and being a good person. You have to live differently from a different place. You're not, you're not now redesigned so you can keep the law. You're dead to the law it, it doesn't apply to a believer. Now, a lot of people have trouble with that. They go, ooh, ooh, that's a bit of each that. No, it's just what it says. Yeah. It's what it says. And, and as long as we go, but, but that can't be right, then we get stuck in trying to do things to please God. And when we try and do things to please God, we rob the gospel of its power. And so we find we can't walk in the freedom we've been given. When we know that we are the righteousness of Christ, then we are empowered to live from the inside out. 
we are, we are empowered to be mature sons and daughters of God, grown-ups who don't need the rules that, that we use with Matthew and Jessica when they were tiny. They can now make their own decisions and you trust them to walk well in that. And that's what God's done with us. He's made us mature sons and daughters. So, Jesus, we weren't left dead. Jesus didn't stay dead, and we weren't left dead. We were raised again to new life. And we raised again because, that, because there's been a death, the death of our old sin nature and the death of Christ on the cross that, that we are counted into. Because we are dead, we're not bound by law to that old tyrant that lived in our life. We instead have the freedom and we are now married to another. Let me explain this because I'm not going to give you any illustrations of my own this morning because Paul's is, is good enough. But you aren't the same person after you believe as you were before you became a Christian. And we really need to get that because most of the people in the church Becoming a Christian made no difference to them except now they're trying to be a better person. But the truth is, they're not only a better person, they're not a cleaned up version of the past, they're a new creation. They're a different person. They're not a better version of what they were, they're a different person. And that new marriage is of our soul to our new nature. And that's where it gets really exciting because when we find out what our new nature is, you'll go, oh my goodness, this is who I am. And when you know who you are, you are you've got a good chance of living like that. Yeah. In Ephesians, same author, Paul says, put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and true holiness. There's a new self. And what is it? Righteous and holy. You are a new creation and you have righteousness and holiness. And it's perfectly righteous and perfectly holy. So that is that new creation that God talks to you about, that, that I made you to be. You might not feel like that, but the truth is that's what you've been made. And I'm going to explain to you how that works. Now, that new self, this bit created in righteousness and true holiness. Now, if I said my, you know, when I became a Christian, did I look different? No. I, I was still shorter than I wanted to be. And, and not as good looking as I wanted to be. And I still bit my fingernails. You know, you're still the same person. Your body's still the same. And... Whilst there might be some change, most of the ways you think when you first become a Christian are just the same as you thought before. And, and, and thank, you know, unfortunately, a lot of us think that's the way it is and that's all there is to it. We just carry on like we did before, but one day we'll get to heaven if we're good enough. And that's just wrong. You're a different person. And where you're different is in your spirit. Now, let me take you back. 1 Corinthians 6.17 says that... Um, the one who joins himself to the Lord is one 
with him. But you become one person. So, who's joined to the Lord? Put your hand up if you're joined to the Lord. Your spirit and Christ's spirit are one. They're not distinct. That's why your spirit is perfectly righteous, perfectly holy, because it's Christ living in you. And the reason most of us never get the potential of that is that we spend all our time in church and in books that, that fill the shelves of Christian bookshops trying to make ourselves better. Well, guys, I've got a really good solution for you. If that's your approach to Christianity, there's some brilliant self-help books in Waterstones. You don't need to go to the Christian bookshop for it because the world has a better wisdom on self-help than the Bible does because the Bible isn't about self-help. It's about Christ living through you. So we, we, we are one in our spirit. You see, in my spirit, I'm wall to wall Holy Ghost. And... Remember in an early session, what we talked about was this heart transplant that took place. The, the law treated the symptoms, but it couldn't do anything to change who you were inside. So that, that, that through Christ's sacrifice, something different happened. We died to sin and we became alive to Christ. We were given a new heart transplant. That heart, and, and I know some of you have been, found it really helpful with diagrams, looks like this. Your heart, when the Bible talks about the heart in the New Testament, it's the interaction of your spirit, which is wall-to-wall Holy Ghost, perfectly holy, perfectly righteousness, and your soul, which is your mind, your will, your emotions, your past belief systems, all the way you think. That's your heart. Now, that's what's happened to you when you were born again. You got a new heart. Now, The thing is that you are now married again. But you're not married to a tyrant of a sin nature. You are now married to Christ. You are not going to be the bride of Christ. You are married to him already. He comes when we all say, come. Because the bride is here. The church isn't trying to be the bride. The church is the bride. Because you were married to Christ the minute you gave your life to him. You got rid of the tyrant called sin nature which dominated you. And now you have Christ. And he lives in you and you live in him. And we need to start seeing ourselves like that. You know, most people spend their time in their Christian life and Christian walk and everything they read and all the church services they attend trying to get what they've already got. And they never get it because God sat there and he's puzzled. Like, when I told you you already had it, why didn't you believe me? Why didn't you live like that instead of trying to get what I've already given you? God, make me holy. It's in your spirit. God, make me righteous. It's in, you are righteous. God, empower me. It's in your spirit. God, let me do, let me walk free. It's in your spirit. It's there. You've got it. Romans 7, 6. Now we have been released from the law. Say that, I'm released from the law. Having died to the by which we were bound, 
Say that, I've died to it. So that we serve in newness of what? Spirit. Newness of spirit. You see, when we, when we go newness of life, we're quoting from one particular version that just doesn't get all this. We were born in newness of spirit, not in oldness of the letter. The letter is the law. The letter is the rules. The letter is the requirements. The letter is all that stuff that people tell you you need to do to be pleasing to God and get him to answer your prayers. Who like their, all their prayers answered? Okay, here's my tip. Stop trying to get God to answer your prayers and just receive what he's already done and thank him for it. You see, as long as it depends on what you do, you'll never see a full manifestation of what you've got. Because you'll be trying to get God to do something he's already done. So he's not responding, you're just confusing him. Actually, he doesn't get confused. He's probably sat there going, oh, blimey, the kids. Oh, no, it's the kids again. They're asking for what I'm already giving them. Oh, again, again. We live from our spirit. That's what this is saying. You you, you don't live under the letter anymore. You live from your spirit. Now, let's get on to that passage. By the way, this this always was the longest preach of them all in, in this series. So if you can get through this one, you're all right. It's downhill from here. Okay, I'm going to be... I've got to read you this, because when I explain it to you, you're going to go, oh, that's, that was really simple then. Remember, if it sounds complicated, you're reading it wrong. And most people, it's because they don't read it carefully. For we know that, this is verse 14, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh, sold into bondage to sin. For that which I'm doing, I don't understand. For I'm not practicing what I'd like to do, and I'm doing what I hate. If I do the very thing I don't wish to do, I agree with the law, confessing it is good. Okay, here we go. So now no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which indwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For the wishing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I wish, I don't do. But I practice the evil I don't wish to do. For if I'm doing the very thing I don't wish, I'm no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I find the principle is that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. But I delight or joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. But I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind, making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other, with my flesh, the law of sin. With my mind, I am serving the law of God. With my flesh, I am serving the law of sin. So don't you think it would be really important to know what your mind is, what your heart is, and what he means when he says you're, you're after the flesh? Don't you think that's really important? Okay, well... That's the whole point of it. It is really important. And he's making a really fine distinction so that we understand exactly what he's saying. 
Now, a lot of people, well, most people I come across read this passage one of two ways. And, and every commentary I have read reads it one of these two ways. So the first way is this. It's hopeless being a Christian. It's absolutely, you have absolutely, it's just, you, you, you're just born to a life of frustration. You're a miserable sinner. Look, even Paul couldn't get away from his sins and, you know, it's terrible and, and be, really, that's it. So you just need to pitch up at church every week, cry your eyes out at the front and go home and up to do better. And if you can't manage that, join a different sort of church where you can put a massive effort in, you don't think about it and you can build something for God. That's the approach because the Christian life there is painted as hopeless. Like nothing happened as a result of the cross. You're just as miserable as you were. That's explanation number one. That results in, well, two things in the Christian life. And put your hand up if you've ever sensed either of these two things in your Christian life. Frustration. Tired with it all. That's because you've been sold that defeatist lie. You've been sold a lemon, guys. Do you know what you do with lemon? Spit it out because it's too bitter. Now, the other people who, who don't go for that because they go, oh, something must have happened at the cross. Can't quite work out what it was, but something must have happened. And I need to say something in my commentary that I'm writing. So what I'll say is that this isn't about Paul now at all. Paul suddenly has had this like weird moment where he forgot everything he was talking about and he's decided to talk about what life was before he became a Christian. Where, where did he start doing that? He's in a long thing about being dead to sin, alive to God, being united to Christ. We've just been, we've, we've got rid of the tyrant, we've got a new mind. Oh, now I'm going to talk about what life was like before I was a Christian so I can confuse you all again. There's absolutely no indication that that, would, that could possibly be it. And yet, because we, we don't want to... We don't want to accept that it's all about him and not about us. We think that he must be talking about how difficult it was before. Here's the problem. Chapter 7, which I've read to you today, is part of a letter. The letter does not have chapters, it does not have paragraphs, it does not have verse numbers, and it certainly doesn't stop at... Verse 24, wretched man that I am. Because two verses later, part of the same thought process, he says, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ, for the law of the spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin and death. It's one thing. You can't separate the two. But because it's divided in chapters, theologians ponder what Paul is saying here without saying, Actually, let's just carry on to the next verse. And he, you get the point. Because he's, been, he's actually been really clear. What he's saying is, I'm of the flesh. I'm after, if I'm after the flesh, what he's doing here is he's trying to explain that it is impossible to live the Christian life by your own strength and you have to live it from your spirit. And so he's saying... From my flesh, a better translation adopted in a lot of Bibles, some of you will have this, is I am carnal. 
What a carnal Christian is, is somebody that carries on living like nothing happened because they became a Christian. They're still trying to do everything by their own effort, their own work, their own energy, their own rule keeping. They're all trying to get God to do things for them. They're trying to please God, trying to make him happy. And Paul is saying it doesn't work because there's no ability to walk free like that. When you rely on your willpower, you are a carnal Christian. The thing about willpower is at some point you always run out of it. Yeah. 1 Corinthians 3.3 3 says that, uh, I, I love this, I love this verse. Paul's talking to the Corinthian church, he's saying, people in it, you, these are believers, for you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, I am you fleshly, and are you not walking like mere men? Paul is saying you can carry on behaving like, norm, like ordinary human beings, forgetting everything that Christ has done for you, in which case you're just behaving like mere men. You're not using what Christ did for you. You're not using the, the new heart and new life that flows from you. You just carry on like it always happened. What a waste, he's saying. What a waste that the church lives like that. What a waste that, that, that I guess, 90% of the, this room have lived like that for a lot of the Christian life. What a waste that we've been mere men. Instead of recognising that we're sons and daughters of God, seated in heavenly places with the righteousness of Christ, we, we carry the authority of the name of Christ, we, we live and move and have our being in him and all the riches of heaven, everything Christ has, everything God has in heaven is ours. What a shame we live like me and men. But you show me more than a handful of churches that are getting built other than what men can do. You see, this is the point. Acting from your willpower and your self-effort doesn't give you any victory. Because it's possible to be a Christian, but to be a carnal Christian. I am of the flesh. And, and the reason for that is that you are not a two-part being. There isn't just your heart involved, your spirit and your soul. There's something else called your body. Which will come up here. Picture. Right? Your soul responds to what it absorbs through your body. So you can live on the basis of your, what, everything you take in through your five physical senses. And you can live like that. You can live like all you see on TV is all there'll ever be. You can live like all you see in self-help books is all there'll ever be. You can live like everything in the news is true. You can live... Just the same as you always did. You can, you can chase after all the things everybody else chases after and God will let you. You're still saved. He still loves you. He's, still, he's not mad at you. But you're a fool. And we've been sold this turkey by the church and by all the theologians down the ages for centuries and centuries that that's all there ever is. And you just have to respond and work your way through it and think your way through it and logic your way through it. And, you know, it's tough. It's not tough. 
It's impossible, totally, absolutely impossible to live from that carnal place and have any victory in your life at all. Well, you know, you don't know what's going on in my life. You don't know how difficult it is. Do you know, and I don't mean this in a bad way. I'm not meaning to upset anybody. But I don't care how bad it is. Because I haven't got any answers for you. Because Christ has already provided everything you need. And his grace never changes. It's not moved by the ups and downs of your life. It's there, solid, constant. There for you all the time. Every second of every day. Christ's love, Christ's grace never changes. And yet we live on all these ups and downs because we're not living on that never-changing grace. We're living on what we can do, what's happening to us, who's done what to us, how difficult this is or how good that is. And we're meant to live from this ever-changing grace. You know when he talks about peace that passes all understanding? It's when you're living in that place of never-changing grace instead of the ups and downs of what's going around in the world outside you. See, if you live on the ups and downs of what's going on outside you, what you're doing is you're saying there is no supernatural element to the gospel and all I see now is all there ever be. We are looking at ourselves as mere men instead of looking at ourselves from the heavenly perspective that we have all the resources of heaven available in order to change the situation and to come through that situation and overcome. Are you getting this? You see, Paul said early on, didn't he, like, you don't go back to your former husband when you've got divorced. Because if you got married again, that's wrong. And he's saying, you don't carry on living like nothing happened. Let me um, wrap it up now. Just coming back to that passage at the end of Romans chapter 7. I'll, I'll read you it as, it as it's written, and then I'll read you it now that you can see it. For I joyfully concur, this is verse 22, For I joyfully concur, or I delight in the law, with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin which is in my members. Now let me just read that again with the understanding you've just got. Remember, this is simple for simple men. The thing is, you see, when Paul wrote this letter, he'd already, they already knew what he was talking about. We, we've clouded it, but they've al- already received the gospel in its pure form. Yeah. We're now having... T- you see, the, the great thing about Christianity is not learning the gospel it's unlearning all the other rubbish your 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 walk as a christian now is to unlearn things that you've been that you've got that are wrong and they're taken away from the simplicity of the gospel just say to me i'm an unlearner (laughs) sounds odd doesn't it but you are you're unlearning all that stuff that's bogged you down and weighed you down and you go i know it must add up somehow but it doesn't and you're right it doesn't because the gospel's simple. This says, for I delight... Uh, so put the next one up. 
Nope. Nope. Where's it gone? Okay. Keep going. Next to last slide. Okay, I thought I'd put another slide in. I haven't. Let me read it to you then. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. That's my heart. My heart delights in God. It's perfectly holy, perfectly righteous, wall-to-wall Holy Ghost. I delight in God. He he loves in me. His life's in me. He he lives in me. He flows in me. I delight in, in who he is and who I am now. I delight in it. But I see another law in my members, my natural senses. So, I, have, I haven't got a new body. I'm still absorbing all this sort of stuff. I, I, I'm still, this, this, it's still coming at me and I've still got all this old thinking that I'm now trying to unlearn and I find I can't do what I want to do purely by willpower because there's a lot of stuff in me that isn't renewed yet. Another law in my members, that's my body, natural sense, warring against the law of the, my mind. The truth, that's the truth, our mind knows about who we are now, the stuff that I've been telling you. And making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which was where? In my members. He's saying, as long as I use my willpower, inside I've got the Holy Spirit. Inside, I've got Christ in me. But there's something going on in the way I see things, the way I think about things, all the stuff I'm receiving from my five senses that are working against that. It's not, a, it's not sin nature in me anymore that's dominating me. It's all the other bits, that the world out there that isn't Christian, that is affecting me. And he says, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this? The answer is God, Jesus. And so he says, the answer is, thanks be to God through Christ our Lord. So then on the one hand, I myself with my mind are serving God, but on the other with my flesh the law of sin. There is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. I don't have to live like that. But as long as I'm trying to do this by my willpower, my effort, my logic, my reasoning, responding to everything that goes on and everybody's ideas about how to sort it out and trying harder and trying to get God to move and trying to get him to answer my prayers, I'll fail because it's impossible. But if I live from my spirit, I'll win because the law of sin and death is overcome and superseded by the law of the spirit of life. It's all one passage. And we're going to do part two next week. We're going to do chapter eight. But what I want you to understand is this. The new you is designed to live from the inside out, not the outside in. Turn to the person next to you and say, I'm inside out, not outside in. Say it five times very quickly. Here's the whole point. The Christian life 
the power of the gospel, the finished work of Christ. We aren't here to change our lives. We're here to live an exchanged life. We're not here to try and be better. We're here to let Christ live through us. Because it's his righteousness. It's his holiness. It's his love. It's his power. It's his presence. It's his joy. It's his kindness. It's his goodness. It's his self-control. It's his faith. It's not ours. And the more we try to do it, the more we'll fail because it's impossible. But the more we'll let him do it, the more we'll look like him and we'll bear fruit. Because the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All those things we can't do by trying. And so we just bear fruit of who we are inside. We live from inside out, not let the outside in. Amen? Amen. Let's stand.